Hello and welcome to Please Watch This, a podcast where two film-loving mates with gaps in their viewing history recommend films to one another so they can once and for all answer the question, who has better taste? My name's Sam Blakely, as always I'm joined by Hugh Dempsey. Hugh, how's it going? Oi oi! <laughs> oi lads! Yes, lads, lads, lads. Have I'm you had a thoroughly agreeable week? Uh, yeah, I was over in Manchester on Saturday doing a bit of a uh, pub crawl around uh, Northern Northern City. It was uh, very nice. Where did you uh, frequent? Uh, Manchester. I, yeah, I'm I mean, not, uh... <laughs> I don't know the names of the pubs we went to. Uh, it was uh, something we do every year. We get together with a bunch of friends and we go to. Um, usually we do it in Leeds, um, but this year we uh, relocated because one of the people we go with lives in Manchester. Oh, sorry, he's from Manchester region, and he wanted to. Uh, have it there this year so we were just in little small ale pubs off the beaten track um, I, it was dark I, I, I'll be honest I don't know it well enough it's weird that this is the first I'm hearing of it because I, th- I thought we were friends and I lived in Manchester so I feel like um, I mean I, it's I'm awkward a bit now isn't it yeah. Yeah. Um, it's well, through friends. We had a good run. Friends. 20 episodes isn't bad. <laughs> yeah. In 20 yeah. years. This is actually the last Friendship. episode of Please Watch This. <laughs> <laughs> it will bloody well will be. Well, I, you know, I went on a pub crawl in uh, Birmingham, if you want. I don't know, with all your mates. You weren't invited. I mean, the only person you actually, Monty and Juicy. I mean, we're getting off the subject. The, okay? the listeners don't know. Uh, yeah. yeah, so good week had by all, it seems. Yeah, uh, I too have had a great week. Took uh, about so, two days to recover. Uh, I wasn't bothered about your week. (laughs) That's fine. I I realised you didn't ask me. Um, What are we talking about this week? We're talking about Pan's Bloody Labyrinth. Is that the real name of the film? (laughs) That's the full name. El Labyrintho de Bloody Fauna. Um, It's the 2006 Guillermo del Toro directed fairy tale classic um, that Hugh hadn't seen. Why hadn't you seen this, Hugh? Not to judge, because that's what this show's all about. No, I mean, I feel like you're still judging, if even if I give an answer, but... To, um, do you know what? I sat down to watch it about... Probably about ten years ago now. Um, it was on film four, and I think I got about 20 minutes in, and I just had something else to do. It was, you know, you know do you remember the nine o'clock movies on film four? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they still do that. Well, it was uh, Pan's Labyrinth. And I remember the nine o'clock movies on Channel Five uh, in the. Uh, you're thinking of the two thousand. You're thinking of like the eleven o'clock movies. That was the eleven o'clock. The erotic thrillers. That's the one. That's what you're thinking of. Yeah. Tell well, the audience. Don't lie to them. Very formative. Very formative. Yeah. Years. And then, um, obviously, we had the idea for this podcast a number of years ago. So I kind of just put it in the back pocket and knew that it'd come up on this. So yeah, I was looking forward to it though because. Uh, it's I've never I've always heard nothing but good things from people about it. Yeah. So and Ben said it was good and yeah. And unfortunately Ben couldn't join us today. Oh he could. Here he is. Hello, you're all right. <laughs> I'm not from I'm not from Leicester. I just I just live there. <laughs> Hi Ben, if you're listening. We love you, Ben. Sorry about that. That, wasn't, that was not accurate. Uh he probably had work commitments or something. But That's exactly what he had, doesn't it? It means that we can just make this a clear back and forth. Um, you know, yeah. without any of those extraneous, to and none fro. of those pesky guests getting in the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Anyway, so this film, right? I'm going to lay it out to the to the listener. Hopefully, you've watched it. If you haven't, I'm going to spoil it. Um, if you have, great. Then welcome to, into into our bosom. If you haven't seen it, watch it. It's on Netflix. Prime, it's on Amazon Prime. Yeah, Netflix, um, Net Prime, and <laughs> Net Prime, and Net. Amaflix, yeah, and yeah. Amaflix, and um, and then come back to us because we really like the view, the listens. Um, 
so this film he really likes the listens I mean yeah <laughs> I, I check them every day um, it's <laughs> a sort of fairy tale a dark fairy tale story set in post Spanish Civil War 1940s and it's about a sort of tyrannical captain who's trying to squash a rebellion um, after, the, as I say, the Spanish Civil War. And it's a young girl who's forced to call her father because he's her new stepfather, even though she doesn't like him. And she's a kind of... Uh, she's a reader, you know. She's a she's a uh, creative. So she loses herself in fairy tales. It's purposely ambiguous as to whether or not this fairy tale thing's really happening. And she's kind of... She's approached by a, a fawn who believes that she might be long-lost princess and he gets her to do some trials all in amongst this dark um, this dark sort of horrible war tale mm. that's essentially the plot um, yeah one thing I was surprised actually was that how much of the film actually focuses on what's happening with the adults because obviously she's the main character but a lot of this is about this situation of these um fascists essentially trying to squash the uh, the remnants of the uh, uh, the resistance in the Spanish Civil War. Um, yeah, and I think probably a lot of the promo for this film and probably a lot of that's filtered through to you mm. um, in cultural consciousness is, is the fairy tale aspects, the fawn, the pale man, all these mm. fantastical things. And you're right, it's it's a very dark film besides that and it's, it is centred around this war and that, that, adult, that adult world. Excuse me, I'm going I'm to cough right now. <clears throat> very professional warning the listener that I was going to cough hopefully you'll edit that out if you don't then, no um, I'm going to leave it in that now was for free. as, as soon as you free, say everyone. I'm going to cough now I'm going to leave it in just to annoy the audience makes, <laughs> and then my, sort makes of my life easier auto tune it and make yeah. it sound like it's really fantastic yeah um, it's, it's going to have like a rap melody after it as well that would yeah that's fine yeah. you'll get it on the, on the, on the <laughs> YouTubes excuse me I'm going to, I'm going to cough right now <clears throat> very professional Warning the listener that I was going to cough. Hopefully you'll edit that out. If you don't, then um, that was for free. That was for free, everybody. Excuse me, I'm going to, I'm going to cough right now. <coughs> Very professional. Excuse me, I'm going to cough right now. <coughs> Very professional. Excuse me, I'm going to cough right now. Excuse me, I'm going to cough right now. Excuse me, I'm going to cough right now. Excuse me, I'm going to excuse me, I'm going to excuse me, excuse me, I'm going to excuse me, excuse me, I'm going to cough right now. Very professional, very professional, very professional, very professional. Excuse me, I'm going to cough right now. <coughs> Hopefully you'll edit that out. No, I'm going to leave it in now that you've... As soon as you say, I'm going to cough now, I'm going to leave it in. Um, why do right, you like this so film then, Summer? Why I like this film? It really actually... Um, this doesn't necessarily equate to when I first watched it, but why I really love this film when I watched it again recently... It's kind of combining two of the things that I've really found a passion for in the last couple of years, last year or two. What's and that? that fascism is... and fairy tales. <laughs> <laughs> fascism and um, blunt, you know, uh, shots to the nose with the butt end of a gun. That's kind of what I'm into these days. It's really, um, but besides those, it's the mythology. Uh, I think I mentioned on a previous episode, I'm getting really into the idea of mythology, particularly Greek mythology. Um, thanks to Stephen Fry, he's written a couple of fantastic books over the last couple of years about Greek myth. There's one called Mythos, one called Heroes. I don't know if you've read either of those two, Hugh. I, have, I haven't, no. I've, um, I, I need to borrow Mythos because uh, you're not the only person who's recommended it to me. So I'm, I must... It's brilliant. And I genuinely didn't know anything about Greek myth beyond playing God of War um, before that. And it's, <laughs> they're just fascinating stories. 
and yeah just they're great and then the heroes is, I find less interesting because it's about the mortals um, and they're you know like Jason and um, his Argonauts and Andy's Argonauts yeah my, of, I mean my well, Greek mythology came from um, Hercules and Xenowarrior Princess in the 90s so that's yeah this is it and these things filter through and there's there's a lot to be said about them um and so this isn't necessarily mythology so much as fairy tales, but it's archetype and it's recurring themes and, and motifs and tropes, yeah. which they, they just liberally spread throughout the film without really deciding on what... It's not like a particular mythology um, that they're tapping into. I, I asked a, a Spanish student of mine today, is there is this... Are there any specific Spanish kind of fairy tales that it's about? Because apparently this is basically a set text in A-level <laughs> to watch this film. Um and she said, no, no, it's not really like that. Obviously, these are fairy tales we're all familiar with, these kind of ideas of... They're archetypes, aren't they? They're, they're archetypes, all, all these things. And, yeah. and they've, they've, found their own, they've found their own version of them. And we'll get to the art design, art design and makeup later, I think. Um, the other mm. kind of recent passion I've got is, is Spanish and learning Spanish. Best part of a year now, I think I've been learning Spanish and my Duolingo uh, daily streak is one of the proudest things going on in my life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not your daughter. No, no, I mean, she's, you know... Not your achievement of your students when they get good A-level or GCSE no, 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 results. It's the sort of eight months that I've been doing Duolingo without missing a day, which impossible. is... Impossible. It is impossible, which is more of a French word. But it's quite, it was quite nice. It's quite gratifying, kind of recognising, you know, a tenth of, of what they said. <laughs> yeah, did it make you realise how much further you needed to go to A little to bit. I, a I bit always knew fun. that, but I would I would maybe see the subtitle and then yeah. hear the words they said based on those, kind of read the subtitle, translate as much as I could, and then almost retroactively hear those words, because it's one mm. thing to, to understand one sentence at a time, it's another hearing a Spanish person speak fluently very quickly and, and actually passing out those words so it was yeah. nice it was good practice for that I've been trying to watch as many Spanish films as I could or often English films that I know well with Spanish subtitles or a Spanish dub with English subtitles just to get as much experience with it as I can really so it combines those just on a sort of personal level that's one of the reasons why I've really really enjoyed watching it again this week um, really the um one of the major things that stuck out is something we sometimes say on this show is that a film left us cold, that it didn't really make us feel anything didn't extreme. With it sometimes, and, yeah, didn't connect with it. And last week we talked about Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which I appreciate is a really good film from an objective point of view, but didn't connect. And part of it was I'd had a long week and kept falling asleep. When I watched this film, I've had a much longer week, had much less sleep. And there wasn't a moment where I was tired. I was watching it later in the day than I watched Blade Runner. It went beyond midnight when I when I was watching it. And it's still a long film. It's two hours. And I just... There wasn't a moment where I wasn't gripped, where I was... There wasn't a moment where I felt sleepy, where I was, you know, looking at the clock, really, to yeah to decide how long it was to go. Um, it's just so rich and textured. It's really... I find it impossible not to feel things. It's sort of this beautiful, haunting thing. It's a, it's a fairy tale almost in the old traditional fairy tale fashion where you know the prince would i don't know kill or rape somebody or whatever you know in those kind of before they're they're sort of cleaned up for disney sanitized sanitized these these fairy tales do tend to actually be quite gruesome and possibly not quite as gruesome as these but um you know the fairy tale aspect of this has gruesome aspects it's the brutal war that has the the real you know gruesomeness but the actual fairy tale the fawn being quite scary 
the pale man actually eating the heads off of the fairies all those things are very affecting and I think it's the word affecting that that really um, that really comes from this film you know the disgust at Vidal's sort of inhumanity and brutality and the scene where he bashes the nose in of that poor young farmer's boy Mm. and then you see you know and then kills the farmer and then you see the rabbits in their bag and it's this sort of senseless brutality you yeah and that's what you know you I feel his innocence and wonder are really infectious the courage and the tenacity of the resistance fighters that's really affecting as as well because it's, it's really powerful the way yeah. that they speak about their rebellion something we've covered in in Rogue One as well actually um so I really like that I really liked how effective it was and just how much it made me feel and, and also I must have watched this film about 10 years ago for the first time and then I think I've seen it once since and, and it you know, it felt like every frame was familiar to me and, and stuck with me because it's just so well, mm. well rendered. Okay. Um, what would um, you? Another. Rest? Sorry. Oh, you got one more. Go on. Yeah, I think the the other major thing as well was, um, I was trying to get into the mood for Pan's Labyrinth earlier this week. I knew that I wasn't going to get a chance to actually watch it in full until yesterday, mm. so I just went on, uh, I think Spotify and looked what the soundtrack was, and the lullaby came through, which I'd like to get into this episode, and. I've just been humming it all week in my head or out loud. I'll be, you know, listening to a student and answering their question, nodding along, but in my head I'm just going... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very attentive to the needs of your students there, I see. Yeah. I mean, uh, they wouldn't know it's based on the superficial looking at me, but that's all that's been going on in my head this week. Is that <laughs> that I mean, and it's, I mean it's they just, might, some of them yeah. might be grateful that there's just something going on in your head, you know, when it comes yeah, to them I mean, it's better, answering the it's questions that they have. Nothing yeah, worse than going to a teacher. Can you answer this question? They either go, they they make an excuse and went, well, what do you think it is? Which is code for, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'll tell you the textbook page to look at it. Yeah, you go figure it out. <laughs> but I was just had this smile on my face, just like, yeah, 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 yeah. And actually, I'm just I'm just singing this lullaby. And so the, the score is just, just perfect. Javier Navarrete, um, just a really brilliant soundtrack that you know some soundtracks are great because the music is really good some are great because they just match the film so so perfectly and i think that's both in this case okay um, um, those are the major reasons why i love it is there anything you would so what would you think maybe i wouldn't like about it or why you wouldn't maybe recommend it to me what would you say there would maybe might detract from watching it not much um there's a couple of sort of moments of suspending disbelief at the character's actions. There's a couple of really stupid things, like um, why Captain Vidal wouldn't act on his suspicions about the Doctor earlier. He sort of makes... And also of of, uh, Mercedes, he kind of makes vague threats and says, you know, I'm on to you, but he's the sort of man who's so ruthless that he would have probably not let these things happen to him. Um, Mm. Same when... when, um, uh, Gosh, Ophelia is in the Pale Man's room... It's so unbelievable that she would go for the food, I think, because she's actually, it's not that scary a creature based on the fact that the only thing that wakes him up is eating the food. Go in there, get the dagger, come out, you know, and it's, it is unbelievable that she would do it. But then again, she's a child, she's probably not that well fed. Um, so maybe that's it. I know that character motivation has often been a big part of our discussions, so that could possibly be a factor. I'm hoping that you're fan of history you being such a fan of history you know this being set in a civil war context i don't know if that's 
a factor at all, but I'm hoping that would Do you know it? you as well. Honestly, I know so little about the Spanish Civil War. It's not even... <laughs> right. I, was gonna, I was actually going to say when we got into my bit that my, it's one of my big blind spots that I was sat here googling it for ages this afternoon while I was watching <laughs> it took me about three and a half hours to watch the film because I had to read through so much uh, Spanish Civil War history because I was like how do I not know these things why you know it's one of those that's that, interesting yeah and then you get into all the economics of because I, I got hooked on the question of basically well why didn't these a, why didn't the Spanish get involved in the Second World War? B, then when the Second World War was coming to its end, why did it let such a prominent Western power allow... Why did the other Western powers allow a prominent country inside its orbit to be allowed to stay fascist when it wasn't... Um, you know, it had little power projection other than the fact that they were exhausted from the war. They just fought with the Italians and the Germans in the in Western Europe, so was, they, um... they let it be would be my best guess. Yeah, I think so. It, it not being as bad as you know North Korea, maybe. There's a really interesting article I was looking at, which was comparing things in history being a surprise sort of thing. So the most famous being Cleopatra was born closer to the invention of the iPad than to the building of the pyramids. Mm. Those sorts of things. And the one that stuck out was um, Spain was still a dictatorship when Microsoft was started. That's <laughs> a know, strange. That's a strange one. <laughs> Yeah, I, so, I think it was 1975, I think, something like that, that, that Microsoft was uh, founded. Something like that, anyway, don't, don't quote me on the numbers. Um, and it is a weird thing, yeah, Spain, somewhere that most Brits travel to at some point on holiday, and we do know a lot about them in some ways, and, you know, a lot of us go over there, there's football and all, all that sort of stuff, but, yeah, yeah, really unusual culture in that sense. Uh, it's quite interesting. Yeah, and it it was kind of the dictatorship that got managed into democracy by its own people and by Western powers allowing it kind of certain... They, they liberalised their economy in the 50s, right? Essentially is what happened. And with that, then they were they were admitted into the UN and when they were admitted into the UN it kind of normalised but for the people living there for another 20 odd years they kind of they had you know brutal dictatorship <laughs> quite frankly <Yeah. laughs> and it's just it's just not really spoken about that much I think is the is the issue it's yeah and like like you said it, I don't know it's just something I wasn't that familiar with and, and I don't think it's Same that here. important for this, for enjoying this film no it has nothing you just know that to do these are it. some fascists those are some freedom fighter rebellion you know types rebels and these are people caught up in this thing and it doesn't really matter it could be it could be in France, it could be in Spain, it could be on the moon. It sort of doesn't matter on the historical Yeah, context. I mean, it's one of those, isn't it, at the end of the film, the bad guys lose, but yeah, but they don't, unfortunately. <laughs> Historically, they didn't for a long time, or they yeah. weren't. So, but you you enjoy it kind of for what... It, that It's a fairy tale, so don't... You just know that there's a bad guy and a good guy, and that's all you need to know, and that works. Yeah, these are the yeah these are the good and bad. Yeah, and yeah. There is some ambiguity, especially when it comes to the phone. Like, is he good or bad? There's the least parts of the film, and I, and I think it's the same with Princess Bride. It being framed in this fairy tale context means that it can get away with big broad strokes and tropes, you know, like this fascist, uh, you know, man who shaves properly with a razor and he's a and he's a bit of a brute and you know it doesn't it's just you know when when he's when his wife is telling everybody the story of how he met how they met he's like you'll have to apologize for my wife you know she doesn't realize that people aren't interested in these silly stories he's like 
you know, he's wearing black all the time kind of thing. And you go, well, it's a fairy tale, so he's supposed to be a baddie, you know. And Ophelia's a goodie. She's us. She's the reader. It's, it kind of harks back to things like Matilda and all those kind of things, you know, this little girl who gets away from the mm. harsh realities of adult life and other humans by escaping into books and all that. Um, I think right. one thing as well I'd like to talk about very quickly before... Actually, I'll tell you what, we'll, I'll wait till your review because I, I think this might be something that we can talk about more in, and this is the effects and the way that it's done. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Okay. Um, so I think you'll like the fact that it's brilliant. <laughs> uh, you might not like some of the motivations, but frankly... If you don't like this, then I then I don't know where to go from here. So, right, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, Fair enough. Listen up after the break for could be the last episode. Response. Then <laughs> it could well be the last episode. We'll see. Uh, maybe what like the historical inaccuracies that he's found in his uh, three hours of googling. Um, so yeah, return, returning after the break, we will be talking about Hugh's response, Hugh's views. Join Hugh's us after views. the break. Hello and welcome to back, back to Please Watch This. We're going to find out Hugh's views. Hugh, what did you like about the film Pan's Labyrinth? Um, so first of all, I'd like to say, yeah, this film's bloody brilliant. <laughs> Get it, in, yes, I'm it, so happy about it, that. It is, it is. What I liked about it was, so I think I said the other week, didn't I, when we were watching Office Space, like I tried to judge a film based on its own merits and what it tries to do within the genre, within its, within its, which it sits Right, so yeah, what, maybe, what it sets out, yeah, and what it tries to to go with, and what its you know its objectives are, and it's, it's how it's trying to make its audience feel, um, and maybe that's why over over the course of this, I might have come across as quite critical to certain films, you know, like The Shining, Place Beyond the Pines, um, uh, the what's it called, um, There Will Be Blood, because those films mm. set out to try and show you real lives of real people and the nuances in everyday life where with this setting the bar very high basically yeah for that realism yeah Yeah. and something like boogie nights it works amazingly well because you could i believe those that world as fake as it is i believe it where and that was it with with um say there will be blood i was disappointed because i had a benchmark set by that director and his ability to get these realistic people brought to life and it felt a bit hyperinflated to the point of disbelief where mm, you know I yeah. can imagine a plain view character existing but do I believe do I totally suspend my disbelief for this version of it well ultimately no I didn't um, but not to say I didn't appreciate what they were doing a bit like you said with Blade Runner there is a bit there is a tiny little disconnect in Blade Runner between its audience and what it wants you to think and wants you to feel, you know, and the best scene in that was when he was, I now on a bit of evaluation is when, um, Kay sees the advert for joy and he's like, you can see him going through the complexity of loss, but then he's like, is this loss based on something that was real? So, and that's why, I mean, other than visuals in that film, I think that's what makes it a great film is that it has these layers to it. Pan's Labyrinth, is a fairy tale and it's an amazing fairy tale um, for a lot of the reasons you outlined it's it's well made you know Del Toro's attention to detail you, you can see his background here he's um, he basically started out in the 70s working for the guy who was um, the special effects artist on the um on the what's it called oh, bugger um, <laughs> the, the Exorcist 
Right, and yeah, then yeah. he was doing that for 10 years, set up his own company and then started directing films on TV and had a hit in, in Mexico in the 90s and just kind of grew from there. Um, that, Would that, it surprise you to know that he um, paints miniatures in his spare time? Not at all. <laughs> I've been lost listening to lots of interviews with him and that's the it really is if he wasn't a director he'd be you know a set designer and you know special effects guy really wouldn't he yeah that's what he, he, he is essentially that and maybe he was just I mean I was reading on the IMD about this IMDB about this that he'll make these he'll do these books and have detailed drawings in them and um Apparently, the ones that he did for this got lost in the back of a taxi. And yeah. a, a, actual, <laughs> imagine that! Yeah. Imagine that! Yeah, and at great expense to the taxi driver. The taxi driver realised they were important to this person. He might have known who Del Toro was, maybe not. Um, it doesn't say in the bit of trivia that I read, but he went and found it and gave it to the, got it back to him because he knew that that guy wouldn't be able to do what he wanted with them. And apparently, it said in the uh, in the front cover, five hundred dollar reward for handing it in. So that might have been part of the motivation, or it could have been some sort of cosmic plan. Yeah, um, I won't rule it out. So stuff like that, you can see the, you know, they always say the devil's in the detail, don't they? And in this, the. The, you know the watch, the the way the phone's dressed. You know the the um, pale man um, is just the level to, of detail that they get in there with like like the skin hanging off of him. They didn't need to do that. They could have just made like a kind of um, salad fingers esque creature or slender man esque creature, couldn't they? <laughs> but they made this. Truly, it's just awful. rich in textures, isn't it? You know, like you say, with his skin hanging off. There's a story there that's, that's yeah. not elaborated on, but it's you know yeah. somebody who's very hungry was very fat, and, and uh, same with the fawn. I, I was uh, watching a video with a couple of um, the kind of makeup artists and special effects people saying that he's a very demanding director, and it's not you know normally when you do a job for a director, they go, "Oh, well done, that's great." That's when you give it to him, he'll say, "No, what about this and this and this?" And then you know he'll, he'll get you to redo it and, and add more, and yeah, very much good attention. To detail so something like the mm. fawn he, he looks like he's part of the forest you know that he's maybe been in there for a long time moss is growing on him it's a big part of who he is and it, yeah there's a there's a rich history behind these people that as you say gets to that almost that believability within the world that they set up yeah like characters. like you can see that like you said the what the, i mean so like the little little details that maybe you do question is where does she get those three balls from for the toad that she has to put into his mouth like I don't think I ever saw him the fawn giving the balls to her she just had them in her hand I might have missed that or maybe I need to go back and rewatch it that's a good question um, um, I feel like he did give them to her but yeah because she definitely gives it she, uh, the fawn the gives her the fairies know. don't they in the third the third uh, sorry for the second uh, task yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I like... That's going to bug me now. I don't know where she got them from. I'm sure. Yeah. Hopefully, our listener can tell us. Or when I watch this film again a week from now, I'm sure I'll. Uh, I'm sure I'll find it. I mean, I'm repeating myself a little bit here, but I was almost surprised at how how much the film actually had the um, the there's the fascists versus the uh, the partisans, if you want to call them that, um, you know, the resistance fighters. I was surprised that that was such a crux of the film. I just imagined, like you said the stuff that had come down to me through osmosis and cultural interaction over the years was the bits where they it was them by the um, the pale man and his eyes and the fawn uh, and they do a good job to to make you care about both stories really don't they because when Ophelia starts to disobey the fawn for the sake of her sort of mortal life and the connections to the people in her mortal life you have to agree with her on that don't you, you have to go well of course she cares about the 
the like fate of her mum and of Mercedes and uh, Mercedes and the rebels and so on. You have to care about that, yeah, that conflict and those those stakes because if it's just about the fairy tale, you'll sort of you won't enjoy the other stuff really. Um, um, I think you know. uh, Sir is it Sergey 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 yeah, Lopez Sergi, yeah. Sergi Sergi Lopez, yeah. Sergi Lopez. I mean, he's very arch villain in this. I mean, he's. I, again, one thing when you do watch a film that's in a different language is if someone's being art, like say you take Christoph Waltz in Inglorious Bastards, right? He's when he's speaking English, you can see he's being intentionally like, um, like almost evil, and you know he's chewing the scenery. <laughs> but then, obviously, is he doing the same things when he's speaking German? Um, Unfortunately, that is one of the limitations of a film like this. Is I don't know if the dialogue sounds natural in those situations. A lot of the time, a lot of your believability comes down to the believability of the dialogue and how well that's delivered. And would these people say that in this situation? There was a little bit of people going around explaining, you know, you know, it's that we always make the joke of, yes, I work here too. Of course, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> who, yeah. are you, who are you explaining it to? <laughs> you know, but it's uh, an interesting point you make actually that this film was so effective. And I'm not saying that you can't that subtitle films can't be good because no, no, they can. But course. it is amazing. I, I would, I wonder just how much better it would be if we could we could also tap into that you sort yeah. of get the guttural you know the feeling of the tone of somebody's voice the fawn's voice is incredible and it's sort of paternal but not entirely trustworthy because it's a bit mischievous and so on without you actually you know understand understanding what you're saying without reading mm, yeah it's incredible a side note on that actually guillermo del toro is the one who wrote the subtitles for this film yeah i read that as well bad experience uh, in previous films yeah uh, so he wanted to get it right i think it's the only time i noticed the subtitles being different to what they were saying was um one of the i think mercedes calls ophelia and or call or somebody calls for Mercedes and they say they go Mercedes in Spanish (laughs) but then on the subtitles it said what it said what they wanted and then it said Mercedes and that was the only time I was like oh why haven't they just put Mercedes first yeah yeah because it because I just literally I could pick that I could I could physically pick that out because you know it is interesting though isn't it yeah there's a decision that's made there and sometimes it might be the subtitle will say the will say a word once, but then if it comes up several times, mm. again you sort of don't need the word again. And yeah, uh, subtitle in the film actually must not be as easy as it seems. In mm. the same way, that if you had to translate a poem from one language to another, you'd have to actually find completely different words and structures to for yeah. it to work in that other language as well. Um, I think the performances are really great from everyone in this film. I couldn't, you know, yeah. language barrier aside. It, there was no, there was, there was never a misstep from from anyone. Like kid actors, really sometimes well done, can be yeah. a bit wooden. I did, you know, I never felt that from Ophelia. Um, Amazing, oh, sorry, from year old to uh, hold, uh, is it is it Baquero? Baquero, yeah, Baquero, who um, was matured into a, a fine looking <laughs> woman. I think it's fair to say. <laughs> um, um, yeah, yeah, she's only a few. As the Daily Mail, um, you know. Sidebar yeah. of shame would say all grown up, you know. Oh, God. Do you remember that in the nineties when it was it the Daily Star apparently had a count not in the nineties in the early two thousands oh, yeah. had a countdown to when Emma Watson was sixteen. <laughs> yeah. It's just I rot. mean that it's is just grotty, isn't it? That's yeah. like a great uncle. Yeah, that's just who's had one too many Stellas. It's just <laughs> horrible. 
Um, um, so yeah, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, and it's so much helped as well by not recognizing any faces in this. You know, it would just we've talked about this as well in the past. Like if um, if Vidal was played by somebody who's used to being Arch in a lot of films, you'd just be like, there's a lot of baggage with that, and you're just seeing the actor. Whereas for me, Sergio Lopez, that's who he is. You know, and it, I don't. He's probably a lovely man, but. If I met him, I'd think he's a fascist because <laughs> it's that's who he is to me now. Yeah, um, I've got to say though, for me personally, MVP of this story was Mercedes. That woman is brilliant mm, in this yeah. film. Um, yeah, yeah. She's she's actually like a, a supporting character, but she carries so much of the uh, the emotional weight of the film. That that scene where she sees the uh, resistant fighter uh, being taken into the barn, to about to be tortured, and you just you feel for her, don't you? And you feel for him at that point. Yeah, and... she's 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 living this this brilliantly duplicitous life, and you, yeah, yeah, you're completely on her side. And I really like that Ophelia spots her rebellion before anybody else does. She sort of sees her little glances and the way that she interacts with people. Yeah, and just uh, as I always do, I'm watching the film in the background. Another word on makeup and effects and so on I've been I've watched quite a lot of documentaries and making of and behind the scenes uh, videos over the last couple of days about this I'm just watching the scene now where Vidal is um, stitching up his cheek uh, which is a g- gruesome film, uh, scene and I remember watching that thinking how have they done that that's so convincing and it was that he's he's got a prosthetic on there that he's stitching up and they're kind of uh, you know, green screening out, I suppose. I'm not, not green screening, but they're removing his actual cheek. So he's actually mm. just stitching, just like, you know, half a centimetre away from his actual cheek yeah. in doing that. He's really stitching it. Yeah, uh, we should speak about the CGI in this. It was never distracting at any point. There was a couple yeah. of points I noticed it with then when the insect turns into the fairy. Um, yeah, but for a couple of times it's slightly outdated, but it's it, good for its time. Yeah, you never, like... It's never jarring. Um, and, and the beauty is that Del Toro is always looking for the practical effect. And one where it can be a little bit jarring is the toad. And really it comes down to it was a last minute decision. They, they built a set that was really big that was going to be that. And the mm. toad was going to jump. And then when they got it, when they got it from the, the company that was making the toad, it was, it was too heavy. So they couldn't get that model to jump. Right, and he said, okay. if you have it in this beautiful set that we've spent ages making, it's going to look small. Because it's a big set and it's a you know it's not that big a toad, so they'd made a kind of passageway um, set for Ophelia to to crawl through, mm. which is where she ends up meeting him in the actual film. But that was just going to be her crawling through that to get to this bigger set. And they said, well, why don't we just put the toad in that because he's he's going to look really big in that area. But it also meant that they had to then rely on CG instead of practical effects because because they they couldn't work it, you know, sort of practically speaking. Okay. So he, he's really well committed to these practical effects, but at the same time willing to make those CG compromises. I mean, all the best directors nowadays know that it's a blend. Yeah, you know, and that actually can... it could be a, a beautiful compromise, you know. This, yeah. The, the most famous example there is Jaws, isn't it? And Spielberg realising you can't show the shark much because it because it doesn't look real enough, you know, and you can't get it, you can't get the whole shark and all that sort of stuff. So he goes, well, how about we just don't show it much? And then it's the, it's the it's audience the, who's going to have to make up their own yeah, minds. The film that's not about, it's not about sharks. Not about sharks at <laughs> Famously, all. Famously, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is not about spying and all that sort of stuff. I think, well, I'd, I'd still want to know what that film is about. But yeah, I mean, David Fincher's... <laughs> I, I haven't seen it, I'll be honest. D- yeah, I went to the cinema to see it. I was very disappointed. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Fincher is also a very great director when it comes to the blending of practical with CGI. I mean, he he uses CGI 
more for like background effect and um, mm. you you look at a scene and you would never know it was CGI'd you just yeah you know yeah. it's like, and then when you find out what bits are CGI'd it's crazy how much he uses it um, it's weird isn't it yeah you go well that wasn't even needed for yeah, that bit but, you know but when it is needed when he, even if he doesn't think it's needed it's it works because they he goes with techniques that are tried and tested and are photorealistic. So when they're photorealistic and they work on the set that they're on, you don't notice it. When it's not photorealistic, you notice it. I it's, think. A, it's a funny thing with CG. There's a I can't remember the film. It's one of those Seth Rogen, Judd Apatow type films, I think. And it's a scene where they're all stood up drinking shots around a table. And I think one of them throws up and then everyone around the table laughs. And there's like four of them there. They're all laughing. And then I found mm. out two of the people there were CG'd in. Uh, laughing it's like (laughs) wow (laughs) that could have been a reshoot quite easily but yeah just these and I think that's in many ways that's the best use of CG for 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 films that aren't big you know um, comic book films because because it's you're not expecting it and they just do it and it's fine and it's just a way of not having to reshoot and get everybody back and you know Um, one thing another thing I like about this film is just how so, like, some films are grotesque for the sake of being grotesque, are they? That there's mm. shock value in... The, there's two ways to to manage that shock value. It's, here's something shocking for the sake of being shocking. Come look at it and and marvel upon it. Or to be disgusted by it. Or be... This is why you're coming to watch this film. Where like this, Human Centipede. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, great example. Uh, or, like, some of those weird kind of... Um, like you know, you've got like black exploitation films of the seventies and the horrors exploitation film B movies of the seventies and sixties yeah, as well. Yeah, gore porn of Saw Six. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. But with this, everything that was gory was there to tell the story. Like the pale man's not gory, but he's he's you know I've described him here as a mole rat. <laughs> not pale, man, he's a mole rat man. He's he's like a scrotum gone horribly wrong or something. He's disgusting. <laughs> But he's, you might need to see a doctor. <laughs> so yeah, um, and I think, like you said, there's there is a few practical effects with CGI bullets that I noticed, which were a bit shaky. But like you said, when he beats that, do you know why pull, that is? Do you know why uh, that is? The early, the, I mean, mid two thousands, or the squibs didn't work, or they it's were just to quicker. do with the forest where they were shooting. It was a really dry season, and they they didn't want to start a fire basically so all those explosions are all CG and the bullets and the shoots they're, they're all uh, CG added in the only they, thing they I didn't want to start a fire. the only thing I really noticed was um, was when they were like shooting um, you know like when he he shoots the boy in the head um, oh after yeah. He, yeah yeah beats him half to death and the man the actor's still moving about after he's been shot in the head and that's about it but then I think that's realistic actually a lot of films not to go on too much of a digression a lot of films Mm. people die really quickly really unrealistically it takes ages to die especially from like a gunshot to the spleen or whatever you know you get shot in the torso unless you're the hero you just sort of die quite yeah. quickly you know in like a Bond film or something shot dead whatever doesn't matter what you hit dead <laughs> yeah another thing on the uh, the effects as well and this film really introduced me to to somebody who's probably to a lot of film buff types they'll know about this guy Doug Jones do you know about Doug Jones? Um, well I'm only just become familiar with him obviously I know that he um, that Gamela del Toro won the Oscar for 20, in 2017 Best Picture for The Shape of Water and I know that he played the aquatic thing that's in that I've not seen the film yet I don't know about there's, you 
couple of really no I've not seen that yet I think that's something we'll add, we'll add in a, in a future um, I know he's in Star Trek Discovery and he's really good in that as well he yes, plays Commander like a really, Saru. Yeah. yeah he plays that tall alien in that have you ever if you've ever watched that show good show no no maybe someday but basically there's a couple of really good videos I think it might be uh, like one of those indie go-go mojo watch mojo type things or whatever mm. on YouTube and it was um something like oh yeah indigo go mo- watch mojo yeah that's one of those things channel, dot, yeah. dot com slash http um and anyway, <laughs> it was like you know the 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 most famous actor who you never see and he's basically six foot four very thin a contortionist who mm. doesn't complain about having prosthetics and if there's ever a thing that you've watched where there's a character who looks a bit like that he will have played them you know so he plays the lead gent in the uh, episode of buffy the vampire slayer called hush Oh god, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he's that. He, he, funnily enough, he's in Hocus Pocus. He plays the sort of uh, undead version of the boy. um, Quite early in his career, he plays the Silver (laughs) Surfer. He's the kind of the body in the Silver Surfer. So he's like Andy Circus, but not as famous. That's right. He's Andy. He's exactly. He's Andy Circus, but instead of mocap, he's a guy in costumes, yeah. prosthetics, and whatever. And he said actually, the the fawn. There's some really, really good making of sort of videos of him getting in that. It's incredible how practically that that effect is. There's like no CG with the fawn. That's just him in very tight costumes that are put together over the course of a few hours, and then he's on stilts, and they just green screen. They just you know what's the word? They just rub out his legs. You yeah, can see like his shins, and he's wearing green, like football socks, basically. Mm. And he, um, it's obviously not his voice that's used. He's, he doesn't speak Spanish, so a Imposible. linguist taught <laughs> a, a linguist taught him his lines, but also Ophelia's lines, so he could read his cues. And mm. he wanted to really get the performance right, and then it was dubbed in afterwards because obviously, a, 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 an actual Spanish speaker could get the right cadence and so on. Yeah, and just the commitment he's got, and he's just got this weird. He's just got this weird CV where you just never see his face in anything. But honestly, the behind-the-scenes stuff, the fawn is just the fawn. Like, when he's speaking, that's working. He's got these mechanisms in his head that move his ears around and make him blink. But that's his mouth moving. Like, those are his hands, and he's just got kind of gloves with big, longer fingers on them. It's yeah. incredible how practical <laughs> the effect is for the fawn. Yeah, and it's, it's amazing looking, isn't it? It must have been so... It's striking on set, you know, if you saw yeah. it in real life. Is there um, like eight foot tall with that all this? Uh, yeah, I mean, Doug Jones is one of these guys. He's kind of coming to the fore now, isn't he, with his performances that people have, you know, in the last few years have recognised how good an actor he is. And it's always great when people who work away and finally kind of get the recognition they deserve. I think it's it's always important. Yeah. Like uh, what Lord of the Rings did for Andy Circus, where he just became a, a household name and now he's just an actor acting in things. Directing but if, you, if you need things, no yeah. cap he'll be he'll be the, he'll be your guy um, yeah. were there any things you didn't like um so you were saying there about so for me it was just little moments that maybe took you out of the film a little bit um mm. there is one bit on the phone that um you could see the material of the suit that the actor was wearing right. rather it being part of the you know his, his actual skin i was a little surprised that maybe didn't go through a cg process that to to get rid of that to make that look less realistic uh, to make to make sorry to make it more more realistic, um, no, there's not a lot to dislike about this film. There's a bit, oh, like you said, believe. suspension of disbelief, isn't there? Where I think when she's going to get her brother and she's in the room with him and he doesn't see her in front of the table moving yeah, around. Yeah, that's a bit of a film trope that that needs to be. 
yeah. in- improved. I think because it's it's not like it's a it's not like it's a solid desk. There's that wouldn't yeah that's you'd not see that child you'd, she's you'd 12 years them, old <laughs> you'd sort of sense them you'd hear them because she's sort of gasping and breathing yeah. quite heavily that you're right there i did think about that and um, yeah. as a sort of talking point so this for those who haven't seen this film and for some reason have uh, you know 40 minutes into our discussion about <laughs> listening to a podcast about <laughs> about a film they haven't the seen film, the film is purposely ambiguous as to whether or not all this all these uh, fantastical fairy tale things are happening in her mind or not, and it gives little insights into whether or not it's actually true. Firstly, do you think it is just in her imagination? Do you think it's important to answer that question? And, yes, you know, yes, I yeah. think it is important to answer this question. So, um, every week I've ne- you've started doing talking points, so I've got one for this week. And um, does Ophelia have a psychological condition? Would you say she has a, a noticeable? Because the film, for me anyway, I don't know about you, but it definitively answers that question that it's in her head. When, however, she spiked um, Vidal, but he, she's clearly talking to no one when he walks around the corner. I thought he was going to walk around the corner and you were going to see the phone. And I'd be like... It and did I, feel like a death knell for that, for that theory. On the other hand, what if he can only be seen by her because... She's this princess. He's, yeah, so souls. she's able to see these fantastical things. I, I, do you know what? I can buy into that theory. I think sometimes a film, some films don't have to be explicit in their the questions and the answers and the the uh, the, the secrets it reveals. With this, because it's a fairy tale, I almost want them to um, not want you to give you the answer, but they're kind of you know some films. Th- they, by the very nature of them, they do hold your hand through it because they they have to. Uh, otherwise, that film wouldn't work on its own merits like this. So, like with Blade Runner, it doesn't you know it asks questions, it doesn't give you the answers. This one gives you an gives you a question, gives you an answer. And this one, the the answer was that I don't think she is. I think it's all in her head. Um, do you think there's room to believe it's not there? No. I don't, I'm afraid. Because <laughs> then you're sitting there going, well, actually, um, it's all magic, isn't it? And it's real. Where it's... I think it adds a, a richer layer to the story because then you go, oh, right, so is this little girl actually a danger to her brother now? Because she's in this woods doing strange things with a child. Do you know what I mean? Those, you know, newborn, you know, she is she an actual actual danger? She isn't because she's a she's a true-hearted human being who, you know, is in this impossibly horrific situation where there is no easy answer, her mother's dead, the other woman who cares for her, which is, you know, she's such a lovely girl that this other woman cares for her, you know, and comes back for her. Yeah, so soon after meeting her, really. Yeah, um, I always quite like that about the film. Although I th- my imagination was, I mean, my understanding was, were they not, did she not work for them anyway? So I think she knew her before they went out to the. Uh, oh, true. I, well, maybe, they, but they seemed to meet her at the, at the mill. So. Oh, I just maybe. assumed she was in the. Uh, no, I don't in think so. She says something like, "Have you met my mum? She's she's very pretty, or she's beautiful." I think oh right, the, okay, you I could be right. For the first yeah. Time. yeah. Oh, is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah think, you're right. Yeah, no, she is because because her, her brother's in the resistance in that area, isn't he? So she that's must, right. Yeah. Yeah, I just it was just the way that um Vidal speaks to her, it's like he'd known her for quite a while and um that kind of way. Uh that he's Yeah, well I think I think Vidal will him. know Vidal will know 
Mercedes because she's he's been living there, hasn't he? And then Ophelia and um, oh, Carlin right. oh, the suggestion is day, yeah, that he's been there for a while, and yeah, that makes sense actually. Because this enough. is the start of the film is Ophelia meeting him for the first time. Yes, it is, isn't it? Yeah, which is right. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, on on the subject of the the fairy tale, is it in her mind? I personally like that. It, I think it is ambiguous, and I think you're right. It's very easy to, it's very easy to just go. Well, it's been confirmed that it's not. But and I think but it is. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's not ambiguous though. There, it, it's unequivocal because you get to see it from another character's point of view. If it, but like I said, I think I think you could easily explain that away as being well, the fawn can appear to who they want and who they don't or really another thing but then it is in her mind isn't it because if she if the phone only appears to one person then it's in their mind it's not in reality not necessarily i think more of a case of that there's a there's this magical realm that that she's seen that exists but the others don't have access to it and there's kind of like a an innocence or childhood thing there it's kind of a it's kind of a film about childhood and the power of not growing up into these you know horrible brutal lives and regimes and actually living as that in yeah. the imagination of a child I suppose can. her mum doesn't react when she throws the uh, root into the fire because it obviously screams and goes ah that's a really yeah. awful noise and I was watching that again and it looks like her mum's kind of yeah kind of leaving at that point you're right it's nobody else sees these things apart yeah. from Ophelia so I think you're probably right that they are designed to only be existing in her yeah. mind. Which I was surprised. I mean, I'm I genuinely was surprised by it. I actually thought it was going to be because I'm familiar with other films by uh, Gomera del Toro. I thought you just buy into I mean, I bought into it. I don't know about you. I was like, yeah, this is real. Who cares if it's so it's a fairy yeah, tale. That's it. I sort of I sort of didn't care if it was real real, but it was mm. great that it was real for her. Because again, it's mm-hmm. a, it's her escapism, isn't it? It's it's her way out yeah. of there. How is she going to get into that chair, though? Just out of interest, I didn't see a ladder into the chair. Oh <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah, they are impossibly tall. To <laughs> yeah. I mean, you drop that baby from that height, that baby's dead. Yeah. <laughs> how did that old man get up there? I don't know how they've gone past health and safety on that. That is, yeah, that's suspicious. Yeah. I so would that would be my only sort of talking point about this film is. Is it a girl? The thrones are too high. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. The impossible think, architecture. You know, it's not, it's not other, ergonomically um, practical, is it? The other talking point I kind of came up with or thought about was... Well, actually, there's two. The first one is relating back to the throne room. Is that is that a good thing to have? Or is that like at the end of Shawshank Redemption, you're getting to see Red meet up with Andy? Is that sort of catharsis just because you've spoiler gone through alert, this long. spoiler alert for the <laughs> you've had 25 years um, spoiler alert for Shawshank you know a lot of people think it should have ended with just and uh, with Red on the bus saying I hope and I think there is a there would have been an artful decision there but I think it's more this has been a bit of a not a slog but it's been brutal and it's been difficult cathartically you just feel like you need you need good. So good I can only say how I read it on first impressions of watching it today. Um, I was, I mean, it shows you at the beginning, doesn't it, that she's dying and then it kind of reverses up. And so you know she's going to be in this position where she's going to be wounded. You don't know if it's mortally, but it's kind of looking that way. To me, when they went and said, it's all in her mind, she's imagining it. This is her coping mechanism with her situation. She's dying, and this is 
payoff for her trials and tribulations. She's kind of almost that moment of death. She's getting what she wants. She's getting this to be this princess inside this magical realm. That's all. What is it says? There's no nobody tells lies and something else at the beginning. I can't there's remember. No pain. And there's no yeah. pain. Yeah. So it was kind of her escaping the horror of her life, and it's quite yeah. sad in that respects. I would. And yeah. that's, I quite like that about that about this film because it's it isn't. It doesn't give you a happy ending if you look at it that way. She, the character, gets a happy ending in her mind, but the reality of the situation is, the only happy ending really is for Mercedes and the baby. But and then that's enough as an audience. I'm happy that the the little boy survives, and that you know it's like oh, it's tell him what time ve- his father died. Satisfying. It's very satisfying. <laughs> yeah, no, he will never know your name. That's yeah. really satisfying. There's yeah. a weird uh, on that uh, sort of linking back to Vidal. I've got a, this weird grudging respect for him that even though he's a fascist and a child murderer and just a horrible horrible man, I've got this weird respect for his strength um or like his energy. It kind of to quote Captain well, Gil- Kilgore from Apocalypse Now, you know, any man who can what is it fight with his guts strapped to him can drink from my canteen any day. Any man who can stitch himself up in front of a mirror on the day that he's been stabbed several times. There's a I've just got this weird respect isn't the word because that suggests that I'd like him or think he's right or something like that, but he's a very impressive character. Yeah, I mean, there isn't there is it's that whole that is what fascists kind of were, weren't they? There was a, there was a almost sort of. There's a fear to them that people garnish up because they will do these things that seem impossibly hard or painful to do. Um, yeah, I mean, he is like you said. You told that obviously. First of all, he's a fascist. You know that because he's working for the fascists. In... Again, not enough, not much expository dialogue needed to show that he's not a good person. But they, uh, but case. they, sh- but they go out of their way to show it time and time again in this film, don't they? When mm. when she goes to shake his hand and she and he grabs it really firmly, says, "You shake with the other hand." When it's, this is like his daughter, this is like you know, this is the daughter of the woman he's yeah. married. It yeah. should be, yeah. If you, if you was a boy, I'm sure it'd be a bit nicer. I tell you what, I would. I was. I wish there was a bit more development of the mother's character um, in this because she's just kind of this damsel in distress, and it's like she's kind of just, you know, she's like, oh, why are we here? We can run away, and it's like, oh, well, you'll understand when you get older. You know, I was lonely, and it was like, yeah, but you went to this like crazy brutal fascist as your protector or your, the man you're supposed to love it was like you know is that just a woman in a in a situation where she had a hard choice to make and she she's just a, she's did. a realist yeah she's a yeah. realist and, and I think it's Mercedes who's Mercedes who's who humours um, Ophelia's kind of uh, daydreams about fawns, and she said, like, "Oh, I've always been told to stay away from fawns." Whereas her mum is, she's the an, an an adult authority, isn't she? And another person to obey blindly, but somebody who you can be sympathetic towards. So she, yeah, she's taken the pragmatic, uh, but undesirable kind of route of marrying a powerful man. So yeah, I don't know. I just don't think she would have ever married that particular man. She seems to have like a type of man that she was wanting to marry, and I don't think Vidal was that person. I think she would have gone for someone similar to um, Ophelia's father in terms of personality, just maybe not in terms of political outlook. But this is it. You've, but, you've got to think about the context, haven't you? It's not like just a free choice. This is a dangerous, scary time, and she's got a young daughter, so it's if you could marry somebody as powerful as Vidal and somebody who you know is going to protect you... There's a very good reason why you would, I think. 
something I was ruminating on because obviously I don't speak Spanish so I can't maybe pick out the nuance of, of accents obviously they're from the city do you think maybe they're from like an upper middle class family so the her like pool of men to marry was quite limited definitely yeah. I, I couldn't see Vidal marrying just a, any old woman really yeah fair enough, yeah. Fair enough. Oh, okay I think something we need to do is uh, favourite lines and scenes what do you reckon yeah, so what was your favourite what was your favourite scene, Sam? My favourite scene Some scenes, there Sam's you go. Some scenes, Hughes Views. F- Hughes Views and some scenes. Pure catharsis, it's Mercedes escape from Vidal when he's gonna torture her because they've you know, they've they've set up really well um with the stutterer how he how he tortures and he's got his little his little speech. He turns his back on her and you know because she's a really strong woman that something's gonna go and it's just just brilliant and she says I'm not some old man or a wounded prisoner motherfucker don't you dare touch the girl you won't be the first pig I've gutted and it's just really I just don't great, get really great but why don't she kill him it's, it is weird I don't know why she is, doesn't it kill is him. plot yeah it's, it, it is kind of plot bit there I thought she was going to kill him right there to kill and yeah. he could catch up with her and, or shoot her on her way out yeah, yeah. that's a shame actually that's a problem how about you what was your favourite yeah. scene um, I'm glad you uh, mine scenes weren't the favourite actually oh, for good, once good. Um, and the pale man scene in yeah, his, in yeah. his feast I mean that bit is terrifying <laughs> <laughs> it's really and good it's really effective it is the outstanding scene for of the film for me it was just it. it's everything that you it's kind of the things that you saw if you didn't know this film was yeah um, he's in it so briefly as well I thought he played like a much bigger role in this film he makes film, an but impression yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's literally there for... He's maybe not in less than five minutes, you know? Yeah. But, and just the, the um, sound effects as well, when he when he jolts to life and he picks his hand up, you you just... He's just freaky and creepy, and yeah, it really catches you out the sounds when he knuckles, yeah. like, crack off the table. Yeah. It, I was a bit like you, it does annoy me a little bit that she took the grapes. Mm. She seems... She doesn't see... She never came across as a... She was naive and innocent, but she never came across as stupid. Yeah, I think that was out of like, character. Yeah, and I was I was just expecting this creature to awaken yeah, rather than... Yeah, Is it or it's weird? Something... On, on reviewing, I thought, obviously a scary character, but really ineffective. <laughs> like, quite slow, <laughs> gangly, just sort of like... When he, when he like held his hand out to her and went, oh, made a noise, I thought that was going to you know, shoot out a laser or something, like something a bit more debilitating than just chase her in a, in a scary way. Yeah, I mean, he, he, I mean, he had plenty of time to grab her legs, didn't he? But then his eyes aren't in his in his head, they're in his hands, so he might not be able to see her, hand, her legs properly. So, I mean, he does well to grab those fairies, though, and that bit's very distressing. Yeah, I, heard, <laughs> I read somewhere that he bit into condoms full of blood, I think, for that effect. I'm sure oh, I read God, that somewhere. Lovely. Yeah, beautiful. That bit, though, where the second fairy's like, ah, and that's, oh, it's dead scary, that bit. Yeah. I was like, I was like, save the fairy! <laughs> they said that their inspiration for a lot of that was, um, a couple. there's a couple of paintings, I'm not sure who they're by, but it's of Kronos. Is it Kronos? Yeah, uh, Kronos eating his children uh, in Greek myth. Right. Um, because he's had an oracle, those pesky ones, saying that your your children will, your, will rise up against you. So he eats all... It's a seven, I think seven of them, Zeus being the last, and then vomits them up because um, his wife feeds him a sort of stone that brings them up. And Zeus, even though Zeus was born last, he was eaten last and therefore gets regurgitated first. So Zeus is actually the firstborn, even though actually he was born 
first last <laughs> and so I mean, there's you some... can't, I mean the Greeks invented logic so yeah. you can't call that logic <laughs> so I can who am I to criticise but there's a couple of paintings <laughs> that show that um, that show that happening and it's very it, the way that the um, effects sort of explain it was it's like sort of stringy meat you know when he's biting into it and it's just like that when he's biting into the fairies yeah and the torture scene's really good as well um, I have to say yeah it is, it is. You've seen, and you've seen it a million times the torture scene but that little speech he gives and just the performance and it's genuinely terrible and also this film you know that it's not going to just shy away from from it or you feel like it's not you know it feels like it's not in a rush to end that scene and you don't know what you're going to have to watch but you know it's going to yeah. be pretty bad it, I love how there's swearing in this film like they just casually swear mm, randomly yeah. like you're just not expecting it because some of the dialogue let's be fair is a little clunky at times you know people don't really talk to one another like this even in these situations excuse me <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was really, um, it was really, it was really effective when they used it. Um, On the subject of dialogue, thought, uh, what is your favourite line? Well, uh, just as we mentioned the torture scene, so my favourite line of dialogue was uh, Vidal's little speech that he gives to the stuttering rebel um, when he says, um, you know, he's just that veiled threat of what's to come, yeah. and he's holding up the different implements, and At he just first goes, "I won't trust you," and yeah. Yeah, so at first I won't be able to trust you, but after I use this, you'll own up to a few things holding a hammer at this point. Then he pulls out a pair of pliers. Um, then he says, when we get to these, we'll uh, have developed, uh, how can I put this, a closer bond, much like <laughs> brothers. And then he pulls out this, is it a paring knife, I think they call them? Something like I'm not that, sure. yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure what the tool's called. It's like a rounded, blunt knife um, and he just goes he pulls that out last and uh, just says and when that, when we get to this one I'll believe I'll believe anything you tell me yeah. as if to go I've I'll never seen I've, I've never seen the torture scene done like that yeah you not yeah, yeah exactly you, you wouldn't dare lie to me after this one yeah I've never seen it done yeah. as well as that the torture the old the very very trope archetypal torture scene it's very effective yeah I really liked that um I don't think it's a film though of hugely memorable lines. No, there's not that many. It was it was difficult for me. It was um, Vidal. He's figured out that uh, the doctor has double crossed him. He's come in and he's he's put the uh, the prisoner out of his out of his misery. And he said, "You could have obeyed me." And the doctor says, "But captain, to obey just like that for obedience's sake, without questioning, that's something only people like you do." And I thought that captures the struggle of the film the the human part of it really really well yeah yeah and it talks about the actual widest socio-political situation doesn't it with what's happening in Spain yeah in and, this period it's and linked to that as well questioning Mercedes and Pedro they're talking and Mercedes says I'm a coward Pedro says no you're not she says yes I am a coward for living next to that son of a bitch doing his laundry making his bed feeding him um, what if the doctor's right and we can't win Pedro then says, at least we'll make things harder for that bastard. And again, that's part of that rebellion, isn't it? It's kind of like, look, we we all know now that we're probably going to die, but it's really to make it harder for that bastard and to give our, our cause a chance in the future. Yeah, it's one of those, you look, it's got the historical lens put over it, hasn't it? With the whole, well, we know that they didn't win in the end, yeah. so... 
you know, it, as I mentioned, we you know. Let's not get into it again. But as I mentioned earlier, you know that they have. It's a small victory, you know, a small battle won, but ultimately they they lost the war. Yeah, and I think so. that's again. It sort of doesn't matter in this case because it is only the battle that you're interested in. So you don't know if mm. Pedro and, and Mercedes etc. do survive or if Fidel wins. And you're right; it's a fairy tale. Yeah. So ultimately, he sort of has to lose. But then again, he also Ophelia doesn't necessarily win. It's a no. Just no. what a brilliant film. Let's have a look at what the critics yeah. think of it then. Oh, in fact, uh, yeah. yeah, let's have a look at what the critics think. It might not surprise you to to hear that the critics loved it. Um, Metacritic. Do you want to guess the percentage on Metacritic? Uh, well, Metacritic critic tends to be lower, doesn't it, than IMDb? Sometimes, yeah. IMDb was at eight point three, which is great after thirteen years. Quite frankly, yeah. um, I will say, yeah, about 84 percent, maybe, maybe eighty. Ninety eight percent. Freaking! It's hell. the highest rated movie of the two thousands. Really? Yeah. It received a twenty two minute standing ovation at Cannes. Which, yeah, but that's not unusual at Cannes. But that's quite a long time. Um, let's yeah. get into our two favourite um, reviewers, Kermode and uh, Roger Ebert. Kermode called it the very best film of the year 2006. Kermode, yep, very best film of the year 2006. His film of the year, an epic poetic mm. vision in which the grim realities of war are matched and mirrored by a descent into an underworld populated by fiercely beautiful monsters. Roger Ebert, four out of four, best film of 2006. What makes Del Toro's uh, Pan's Labyrinth so powerful, I think, mm. is that it brings together two kinds of material, obviously not compatible, and insists on playing true to birth right to the end. Because there's no compromise, there is no escape route, and the dangers in each world are always present in the other. Del Toro talks of the rule of three in Fables. Three doors, three rules, three theories, three theories, three theorems. I'm not sure three viewings of this film would be enough, however. So the critics absolutely loved it, and it only just lost out on um, best foreign language film to the Lives of Others. Which have you seen the Lives of Others? Um, have seen like ten minutes of it. I, I'm going to get that it, on the list because, uh, yeah, for it to uh, is it if it's the one I'm thinking of, it's where the Stasi agents listening to a group of like secret bohemian people in West Germany in the mid 80s that's right and 10 minutes won't yeah. do justice because it is a brilliant film and it was only when I, I found out years ago that Pan's Labyrinth didn't win and I thought what how did they not give this the the Oscar and then I saw Lives of Others and which I thought, is better you know, than actually, your opinion I, I do prefer Pan's Labyrinth but I don't begrudge the Lives of Others winning because it is brilliant it is I mean there brilliant. was that period wasn't there in like the mid 2000s where there was just a lot of good foreign films coming out um, and a you also have particularly good year that 2006 uh, you know a couple of years before that you have City of God yeah yeah true which is my favourite foreign language film that's one of those films that I loved and I can't remember why I loved it or what made it so good so I'm 100% going to watch that again soon because again it's it's the same with like The Good, The Bad and The Ugly when I watched that I thought this is fantastic and now in respect I can't remember what was so good about it and it's a very long film that I need to rewatch it to rediscover just how bloody brilliant those films are I think with City of God it's just a great it's just a great story um, about this man's life growing up in uh, is it like 60s 70s 80s Brazil uh, this young man trying to survive really in this in these flavellas and having all these dangerous people around him and somehow managing to forge a life and escaping essentially in the trials and tribulations he goes through I think that's just what's 
really great about that film. Um, I'm going to watch it again as soon as I can. I think it's still on Netflix, actually. Um, we're going to go for a little break. After the break, we we're going to hear Hugh's rating and we'll get to the quiz. It's great stuff. Okay, welcome back. We're going to hear Hugh's rating. Hugh, how many tasks to complete before the full moon would you give Pan's Labyrinth out of ten? Oh, I would have thought it was three tasks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give it three out of three. Um, yeah, it's a solid eight. Is this one? Um, That's good. It's it's not. It's one of those films that. It's a really well-crafted film. And that's something I really like about Guillermo del Toro. He doesn't do any films by half. Even the films that aren't as good, that great that he's made. You know, you look at Hellboy 2, not a great film, but the attention to detail is just always there. And he puts it all out there on screen. And yeah, I can't I can't fault it. It's like an eight. Easy. Again, I'm judging on its own merits. You tell me another film that isn't... That doesn't have that like um, Princess Bride self awareness, tongue in cheek look mm. at fairy tales. That is as good as this in live action format. Um, For what it is, that, it's pretty perfect. I think. Can I tempt you into an eight point five? Um, doesn't, doesn't like a decimal in this context. No, I think eight's good enough for it. I, I, don't, I don't think it's it's ama- it's like it's like a world class footballer, but it's not it's not somebody. It's not a film that I'm gonna go back and watch again anytime soon. But if it was on, I always think the good litmus test for this is if it's on on a Sunday afternoon and you sit down and you start watching it halfway through, I, I would happily sit down and watch this halfway through. And That's good. And of course, the question that we sometimes remember to ask, would you recommend it? <laughs> um, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, this is one of these films that I would definitely recommend. I would recommend it. Do you know what? I'd, I would take a little bit of glee of recommending this to like kids of the age of like Ophelia's age in the film. <laughs> because I think it was you want to scar some children is what you say well I love that whole Grimm's fairy tale idea of you know that these are meant to be the, the warning signs about the world and you know I think there's a bit too much sanitization of of like things like this in the world and I think a good scary film is always good for <laughs> kids sometimes to watch Plus, yeah, twelve-year-olds uh, are sure. not stupid. <laughs> so <laughs> they've seen it all before. Yeah, live mm. executions and all that. I've seen it. Um, yeah, some good. of the stuff well, we saw when we it. were like twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Jesus Christ! Yeah, exactly. On that website, steak and cheese. Yeah. There's all kinds of stuff. I still remember stuff website. off that. Yeah, it stays with you. Forever, <laughs> it does, doesn't, doesn't it? <laughs> Entrails after a you know a bit of roadkill or something oh, like, you know all this kind look, of horribleness. You, I mean, it, thank Christ it was blurry, but there was that video, wasn't there? Of that poor journalist that was beheaded on there. This was before the internet was kind of sanitized a little bit. I think it was uh, just an absolute waste land, wasn't wild, it? It was like a wild <laughs> kind of west. Message. Yeah, it was a wild west. Every website had a you know a. Uh, visit counter yeah. and you know some comic sans pink on purple background yeah, sort of happened to, no one has visits counts and it visit counters anymore does it no happened to but that? then again no one has their own sort of website anymore it's all through through social media Gen- uh, yeah it's a weird thing. genuinely i still think it's weird that facebook was the platform that made it bigger than myspace because myspace was so much more creative you could have your own it was, background wasn't it? i think that was the problem music. though like those that had music that played as soon as you opened it, it got a bit tiresome. It's the simplicity of Facebook, I think, won out because you actually had to spend quite a long time making those MySpace pages. Yeah, I'm a... it, yeah, it was fun, and it was you know launched some pretty good music careers. So mm. 
Yeah, it was good. Um, let's get into the quiz then. Quiz, we'll quiz, see quiz. how uh, see how observant you were about this bloody film. Okay. Um, question one, potentially an easy question. In what year is the film set? Nineteen forty-four. Ding dong ding. Very good. Is that what they say in Spanish? Question ding two. dong ding. <laughs> ding dong ding. Yeah, that's Spanish for uh, well, you correct. Winner chicken dinner. Winner winner chicken winner in Spanish. I'm not, I don't know what. Yeah. Winner winner chicken. But it would be. Uh, Cena de Polo, de Pollo. That yeah. would be, I think, chicken dinner. One thing I did notice um, just before we go on to the next question is that uh, I d- it only just struck me now. Del Toro just means of bull or the bull, doesn't of it? The pole. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It only struck. Me. It is weird when you hear that. Like uh, Willie Caballero, the uh, goalkeeper. I think Caballero's horse is it? I, I can, you, I'm not sure. I'm not very. I'm, my Spanish is. A little rubbish. Or Juan Mata, John Death, I think. John Death. <laughs> oh, yeah, right? Mata's death, isn't it? <laughs> it is weird, but then again, some John like uh, <laughs> the footballer David David Goodwilly, like that's his actual name. <laughs> so, you know, we, <laughs> people who live in glass houses. Um, question two. Do you know with stuff like that with Goodwilly? Because, sorry, <laughs> I know that some, some like surnames come from nicknames of past generations. So, does that genuinely mean. Um, and I know that's sometimes that it can also be, um, you know, dirty nicknames that people kept. Mm. Do you think that basically just had like an ancestor who was like hung like a horse and he was like, mm, he's a good Willie. Well, where does Willie come from? I mean, that must be that somebody who was called William who had a, a big and... It's probably just good. It probably is just a pet name for Will, Willie. William, isn't it? And it's just a... <laughs> probably. Yeah, a bit like, yeah, God, a bit like Godspeed, Godspeed, that kind of... Thing. Yeah, all that stuff. Still though, anyway. it would be great that one of his ancestors was just great in bed, and he's like, "I'm, I'm now call me David." Five hundred years later, call me David. Reaping Goodwill. the benefits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, question You'd have two. To ask his teammates what? ultimately. Come on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> question two, through gritted teeth. What were Ophelia's three tasks? Um, she had to put the three stones in the toad's mouth to retrieve the key. She mm-hmm. had to get the knife from the pale man's banquet without mm-hmm. eating any food, which she pretty much failed at, but managed to get the knife. And then the third <laughs> one was a bit vague. It was to give the child to the fawn. And the, um, and she said no, and she failed it, but ultimately she passed it. That- yeah, it was a sort of a, a trick um, yeah. quest. Yeah, also, like at some point are you going to like say to your daughter right you've got to perform three tasks otherwise me and your mum won't love you anymore <laughs> if you fail at it I don't it. plan on it unless I really really needed to go to the shop and I can't be bothered yeah. and uh, you know I really want to get some chocolate or something then I might oh. make you know do you need to pass these riddles three da 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 you know and uh, try and cut her into God, the shop I used, I used to get sent to the shop all the goddamn time yeah, being sent to the shop being told to answer the it phone it was alright for you you lived like two seconds away from the shop yeah true. for me it was I good I don't know how entertaining this is for the listener uh, <laughs> it's my podcast <laughs> <laughs> oh your podcast now um, yeah no it was that was childhood wasn't it yeah go to, go to the shop and yeah. then you'd say can, can I have 30p for a Mars bar yeah and then, uh, then they'd say no, and then, and then you tell your therapist about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is this a, is this a safe space? Is this is a nice forum for this. Um, question three: What convinces Vidal that the doctor has been disobedient? It's the vial of antibiotics that he finds very good uh, in the camp, and then he sees it in his um, in his medical bag. 
Very good. Oh, by the way, I love the way the Spanish say antibiotics, by the way. Antibiotica. Antibiotica. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. It's a really good good language. I I heartily recommend it. I just like the way that Spanish and Italian just kind of add syllables to the end of words and it just makes it sound more expressive. (laughs) Yeah. Vowels. They always add it like a Sometimes at the start of the word. Yeah. Yeah. But we're not, we're not, you know, we're not sort of explicitly offensive to European languages on this show, um, are we? I mean, unless you, if I mean, if you're Dutch listening to this, oh, so, so then, <laughs> those damn, those damn crazy Dutch <laughs> bastards, those double vowels. Yeah, no. two ways next to each other just just looks wrong, and we've all agreed it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I've question. No, no, I like oh. it. It's just, it just to, to an English ear, it just seems unnecessary, but it always makes things sound better. <laughs> Again, people in glass houses, we've got we've got one of the stupidest languages in terms of spellings and pronunciations. That's oh God, yeah. imaginable. Um, so glad I question speak it four: natively, <laughs> the spelling. What is uh, what is Ophelia's princess name? Uh, Moana. Very like good. the Disney princess. Like the Disney princess. So far, you've got four out of four. Ooh, can I phone a friend if I don't know the answer to this first Absolutely one? not. You don't have any. Uh, number five. What hand <laughs> does Ophelia offer to Vidal, only to be told, es el otro mano. Otra mano. You mean at the beginning? It's the other hand. Yeah, yeah. she offers her left hand. And Very good. It's- Ding, ding, ding. Was, five out of five. Yeah. Not, not, not the best week for quiz questions, I'm guessing, then, if that was your final question. <laughs> it was really difficult, yeah. I, I didn't want to go too difficult and also not too easy, and yeah. turns out either they were too easy or you're just a brilliant, brilliant film viewer. Well, it's clearly the latter, obviously. I think that's the only possible possible recourse. Okay, so Pan's Labyrinth is there. Done and it's done. It's in the can. Ladies and we loved it. for your it's, listening pleasure. Yeah, it's one of the best films that uh, came out in 2006 and that's especially that's about fairy tales and the Spanish Civil War so that, what more could you want I mean that Venn what diagram what next week Hugh <laughs> yeah it's a circle isn't it it's just a circle with the name <laughs> Pan's Labyrinth in the middle um, what are we doing next week so next week because we were talking about David Fincher earlier we're going to do the David Fincher film Gone Girl uh, 2014 Ooh. what do you know about it Sam I know some things, but I don't know many things concretely. Okay. So I, I know that it... I think from the trailer it's something like it's Ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike and they're married and then she goes missing or something and he's suspected of it. But I know there's some duplicity. I know that she's not quite what she's what she seems. So I've not I've not seen anything that's specifically a spoiler, but I've seen it kind of implied in lots of video essays and things um, that actually she's maybe the bad guy and so on. I know it's based on a book, so I, you know I can't remember the name of the author actually, but I know it's based on a book. Um, mm. I'm really looking forward to it. There's not many reasons why I haven't seen it other than it wasn't immediately on a streaming service right there when I wanted it and maybe in the back of my head I thought I'd save it for this show yeah I went to the cinema this is one of the well not the few films but one of the films that I actually saw at the time of release so yeah I, enjoy, yeah. I saw it in the cinema and enjoyed it immediately so um, I've been wanting it's actually funny you mention it because I've been wanting to watch it again because I've not watched it since it came out so yeah we're going to do Gone Girl next week Gone Girl next week so yeah that's episode 21 Gone Girl 22 uh, then, this is uh, 21 
No, that's what I meant. Like I was making oh. a pun, saying like we've done twenty-one. It's it's gone, girl. Oh, I oh, put a comma in the middle. You were being, you were doing that California accent. That has been meta. Ah, uh, don't do that. I think that's what the kids call it. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, the kids not, not famously one. say the word meta in that context. They're, they're well into the meta yeah. on the Instagrams. Um, so join <laughs> us next week for Gone Girl, and uh, thanks for taking part this week, guys. If you want to take part in a more you know, communicative format. fashion. Yeah, more, more, less passive. Yeah. Um, how could they do that, Hugh? So they can um, go back in time to Spain in the 1940s. They can join. Simple, done. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah, easy. yeah. I mean, obviously, everyone has a time machine. They, all yeah. I mean, they can go to modern-day Spain. They can start a rebellion against the government. Uh, they can <laughs> then um, become partisans, uh, where the government's trying to obviously exterminate them for their uh, political beliefs. Um, and in somehow in that milieu, if they could perhaps sneak a message out to somebody aiding them in their cause um, that's talking about this film, then I'm can and they can get that to me, and then I, we can read it out, and you know maybe we'll find channels to get that th- back to you. Um, yeah, I mean it's up to yourself. That's obviously that's the most sort of um, efficient way of doing it. But if they want a bit more roundabout the houses kind of way of doing it, how, um, how could they do that? I can't think of any others. Can you? Uh, <laughs> facts. Um, I mean, they could send us an email. Buy a fax to... machine. Send us a fax machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Send us a fax. A fax um, smoke signals again is always a good one. Um, <laughs> snail mail. Um, yeah. Real, you know, real mail because I mean it must be quite hard to get all those letters on snails. I've seen them use this electronic mail. Thing. Really? What is that like? Um, is that like a quicker fax machine? Well, I think so. Yeah, but through like a portable computer, a bra- or a personal computer, a po- personal computer. Yeah. <laughs> and so, if they get a copy of MSN's DOS, <laughs> <laughs> On the, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, they, if you want to get in touch with us, email us at pleasewatchthis.pod at gmail dot com. Um, Sam, where can they find us on the internet if they want to contact us through social media? rather than traditional they can find us on the Twitter Uh, we are very active on the Twitter we are at please watch pod you can also find us got a Facebook page please watch this Um, so yeah we look forward to your correspondence sorry I don't know why I don't know why I did that that made me sound like David Brent then correspondence (laughs) it's the so yeah thank you for persisting this far and we've had a great time talking about Pan's Labyrinth a fantastic film uh, enjoying they're not this persisting, free content. They're enjoying this far. Stop making it like it, they're not. It's not an arduous task uh, listening to two men talk men. about great films. Um, we are those men, <laughs> and we will see you next week. We love you guys. Bye. Bye.